Welcome. I'm so glad that we get to spend this time together. And I would ask that we, we quiet our hearts and we calm our minds. In these next few moments that we can connect with God and with each other. Right? As a, as a Christian, the Holy Spirit in me can connect with the Holy Spirit in you if you're a Christian. And if you're not yet a Christian, then tonight could be your night where you are born again, where you receive the Spirit of God, where you receive Jesus and the Holy Spirit. But I want us to connect, right? We we all have that, that craving for community, And one of the hardest parts of this pandemic has been the isolation, right? Even for those who are introverts, uh, this has been a season of isolation. And isolation withers our soul. There's a difference between solitude and isolation. Solitude is healthy for the soul. Isolation is detrimental for the soul. They say that solitary confinement is cruel and unusual punishment because it does something to us. You know, being by ourselves for an extended period of time, it does something to our state of mind. It does something psychologically. It does something emotionally. It does something spiritually. And so my hope and prayer is that we can connect in these moments that we can reach out in our hearts and connect with each other. And in doing so, we can find encouragement. We can find support. We can find strength. And ultimately, my desire is to help us connect with God, right? I know a lot of us have been ordering food that gets delivered to our doors. Uh, Maybe it's through Skip the Dishes or through a delivery service of a restaurant. Um, But that's my role. Uh, That's my role. I'm just the delivery guy. (laughs) You know, we've been ordering from Amazon and I know some of you as well have been ordering from Amazon and, and they show up and they deliver the package. That's their job. You know, their job isn't necessarily to open it for us. It's not to unpack it. You know, their job is to deliver it. And so my job, I think every preacher's job is to deliver God's word. And it's up to the Holy Spirit to take God's word and to apply it, to translate it into your specific struggle, into your unique circumstance. And so I want to deliver God's word to your life tonight. If you find this to be beneficial, you know, our Sunday nights together, our Wednesday nights together, our time in God's word together, then I would encourage you to to share this. You can host a watch party. You can share this on your social media platforms and the word of God is a blessing to you, but you can share this blessing uh, with your social networks. And so I hope that you'll consider doing that and just multiply the message through social media. Tonight, I want to talk about Jesus. (laughs) Right? Jesus should be the ultimate topic for every good sermon. Now, Jesus should be interwoven in every message. It's all about Jesus. You know, at the end of the day, all of the Bible is Christocentric, right? Jesus is standing at the middle of it all. (laughs) Jesus Christ, God's ultimate revelation of himself to humanity, God's master plan of redemption that is revealed 
through the death, burial, and resurrection and return of his son, Jesus Christ. But tonight I want to talk about Jesus in a unique way. And I thought about Jesus as I was preparing this message. And I thought about Jesus in a unique way. And maybe it'll be unique for you as well. Jesus as our supreme pastor. Jesus as our ultimate shepherd. So I invite you to turn with me in the Bible to the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews chapter 2. We'll also be reading from chapter 4. But turn with me to the book of Hebrews chapter 2. And let me ask you this question. Do you see Jesus as your personal pastor? How we answer that question really diagnoses our theology. Because if we see Jesus as multiple layers removed from our life, then it really diagnoses a theological problem. You know, the, if we see Jesus as inaccessible or that we need to have some type of middleman, that we need to have an intermediary between me and Jesus, we need some type of religious professional uh, to to uh, deliver the mail <laughs> to Jesus from you and from Jesus to you, <laughs> then then th there's a deficiency in our theology. So do you see Jesus as your personal pastor? Now, the pastors that serve at church churches are called to be a physical reflection of a greater spiritual reality. The people in the church aren't our people. They aren't our sheep. They are his people. They are his sheep. Pastors are called to care for his flock. Now, I have an incredible affection for pastors. I have an incredible respect for pastors. And so uh, pastors have a unique calling, not superior, uh, but unique in a sense that, that we study the word of God to, to nourish the people of God, to feed the sheep, to feed his sheep. And so there are some Unique Because it's a unique calling, it comes with unique blessings, but also with unique challenges. And so I, if you're a pastor and you're watching this, I, I love you. Right? I have such an admiration for what you do and the weight that you carry and the sacrifices that you make. And I want you to know that God sees you, that God notices the sacrifices that go unapplauded or maybe even criticized. And so you're not alone. Pastors are to be a reflection of a greater spiritual reality. And here's the essence. The essence of spiritual leadership is to embody the heart of the shepherd, to embody the heart of God. And, and that, again, is an incredibly unique calling. And every Christian is called to represent Christ. Every Christian is a priest in the sense that they have direct access to God, that they can read and interpret the word of God for themselves. But the pastoral calling is unique, and it comes with these unique blessings and unique challenges. And so this call to represent God, the heart of the shepherd to the people of God, and this, this call can be, can be excruciating and exhilarating. <laughs> 
And I'm trying to articulate what I have personally experienced. I'm trying to articulate what every ministry leader experiences, whatever, what every pastor feels all the time. This incredible privilege of serving God in this way, but that comes with a higher level of accountability and a higher level of spiritual attack, right? So when it comes to pastors being a target of the enemy, in warfare, the enemy snipers try to target the officers because they know if they take out the officers, it will create confusion in the army, confusion in the soldiers. So if you, if you take out the leader, if you wound the leader, then it will have um, an impact, a ripple effect among the troops, and it can have a demoralizing effect. And so this this spiritual warfare, that uh, there's a special level of spiritual warfare that I believe is unique to spiritual leadership. And, And pastors in the midst of this, in the midst of, because pastors are just as sinful Pastors are just as human as anyone else, but we feel this special responsibility in the midst of our brokenness, in the midst of our struggles, in the midst of our trauma, in the midst of all of these things that are swirling around. We have these these battles that we're fighting. And a lot of pastors, including myself, we struggle with insecurity We struggle with never doing enough, right? When your job is to preach the gospel to the lost, when your job is to somehow represent God in such a way that edifies the church, that builds up the body of Christ, and that shines a light into the lost world, when your job is to be the brightest bulb, right? There's this unique pressure that is unrelenting. And listen, I'm not, I am not griping and complaining. I'm just trying to articulate uh, a little bit of what goes on below the surface in the heart of a pastor, in the life of a pastor. And, And so you can have Empathy, you can have compassion, and you can pray for your spiritual leaders. I mean, this is so essential, right? Is that if power in the pulpit comes from prayer in the pews. And so you have a direct impact on the, the level of health, the level of joy, the level of power that your pastor experiences. And so to pray for them, be diligent in praying for your spiritual leaders as they are standing in the gap, as they are wrestling demons, as they are doing their best to crucify their flesh and to represent Jesus in your life and in our world. An essential quality, and this is what it comes down to tonight when we go to the book of Hebrews, an essential quality of a pastor is empathy. And listen closely, this is not based upon church culture or personal temperament, but rather upon Jesus. The Holy Spirit supersedes personal temperament and church culture. So pastors cannot use a church culture as an excuse to not be, to not reflect who Jesus is. Now, this is true regardless of the time in history and regardless of geography. So this is a transcultural biblical principle for spiritual leadership. 
is that there is one head of the body, the universal church that transcends time and culture. And spiritual leaders, we have different personalities. We have different strengths and different giftings, but we have the same heart. We are called to reflect the heart of the shepherd. Remember, they're not our sheep. They are his. We are called to shepherd his flock. We are stewards of his church. It belongs to Jesus. It doesn't belong to an individual church. And and leaders within that church ultimately are not called to represent the desires of their membership, but biblically, leaders within a church are ultimately called to reflect the desires of God as revealed through his word. An essential quality is empathy. The shepherd knows the sheep, and there is a big difference between a rancher and a shepherd. And I think in 21st century North American churches, we there's this trend towards spiritual ranchers rather than spiritual shepherds. One author put it this way, and I found it helpful. Ranchers have to mend fences to keep their herd together. Shepherds spend time with their sheep, and the sheep know their voice. Ranchers are territorial and are constantly trying to improve their brand. Shepherds spend their time running around trying to get the sheep healthy and growing. Ranchers call call out the non-productive and sell them off to someone else. Shepherds are stuck with what they have. Ranchers drive, but shepherds lead. Driven people have a tendency to drive people, and this can burn out the flock. Listen, I've experienced it myself. Because here's the irony, is that every under-shepherd is a sheep. We all have the ultimate pastor, the supreme shepherd, is Jesus Christ. And so I have the same tendencies. Pastors have the same tendencies. Only we have this unique call to express, we express this calling in a unique way in the midst of these deeply ingrained tendencies. Uh, Let me read this from, this is a great book, by the way. It's called Escape from Church, Inc. And it really diagnoses what I feel like is a growing trend within North American churches. And it's a, it's a trend towards a secular model of leadership as opposed to a biblical model of spiritual leadership. Listen to what he says here. Certainly pastors are burning out left and right, but the case could be made just as strongly that far more congregational members are burning out. They get plugged into the programs, they power the machinery, they come out on the other side, and they've had enough. Lay people are wondering what's going on. It just doesn't feel right. Something is missing. The church feels cold and detached. The pastor talks about family, they say, but it doesn't feel that way. I really want to believe my church is a family. I need that family around me. I crave it inside, but I walk in and out and never feel touched by a sense of family. I believe it's because corporate structures can never produce communities. Corporate structures can never produce communities. Again, this isn't about the kind of leader a church prefers. And this is, uh, this is a challenge for congregational polity, for congregational churches. Uh, because, because we go to the people and we ask what they want. And 
It's not about the kind of leader that church members want, ultimately. Too often, we survey the congregation to discover what they want, rather than surveying the scriptures to discover what God wants. God has revealed to us, through his word, the essential qualities of spiritual leadership. A pastor is a spiritual leader, and they're called to embody the heart of God to his people, to represent people, in, to represent Jesus in the lives of others. In Romans chapter 12, verse 15, and again, we're coming around here to this quality of empathy that is absolutely essential. So someone could have stellar credentials and yet not be qualified to be a spiritual leader. They could have the right education. They could have the right grade point average. They could have the right references. But when you interact with them as a person, do you feel valued? Do you feel loved? Right? Uh, people remember how we make them feel more than what we say. And so when you, when you meet with a potential pastor, it's not just about being able to articulate biblical doctrine. It's about having the right heart. And that doesn't come across on a resume. <laughs> that can only be that can only be discerned through personal interaction. In Romans chapter 12, verse 15, rejoice with those that rejoice and weep with those that weep. Another translation, um, well, it, it, he talks about sharing others' joy and sharing others' grief. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 3, Remember those in prison as though you were in prison with them, and those ill-treated as though you felt their torment. Another translation puts that verse this way. Remember those in prison as if you were there yourself. Remember also those being mistreated as if you felt their pain in your own bodies. So this is this essential quality of empathy when it comes to reflecting the heart of God. Jesus as the supreme pastor. Jesus as the ultimate shepherd. Jesus is the standard for spiritual leadership. Not corporate America. <laughs> it's an indictment against the church that we go to worldly corporations to find how to lead God's people. It's an indictment against the church when we have to consult people without the Spirit of God to learn leadership principles that guide corporations rather than a spiritual organism. The, the, the playbook for the church, the Bible says we are called to be radically different. That, that there's a worldly wisdom and there's a heavenly wisdom. And the heavenly wisdom often gets interpreted as foolishness to the people in the world. The people that do not have the spirit of God. And so we are called to operate uh, it's a completely different operating system. So you can't just import software from the world into the operating system of the church. It doesn't work. And so we have burned out pastors and we have burned out sheep because we, we were trying to operate in a way that we weren't designed to operate. To weep with those that weep and to rejoice with those that rejoice. Again, this isn't based upon personal, this isn't based upon personality, right? All of us have a God-given uniqueness and that's true of pastors as well. Uh, but there is this 
uniformity to the pastoral calling that is deeper than our temperament, that supersedes our personality, to to reflect the heart of God, to have that divine empathy for people. Here's the truth. A person can be an amazing leader and a lousy pastor, right? And so if churches hire leaders and not pastors, then you reap what you sow, right? If we bring in corporate models into the church and then it feels corporate, (laughs) we reap what we sow, And so we have to be very intentional of being counter-cultural. We have to be very intentional of, of selecting the right quality of leader. The unpardonable sin in many churches is not a lack of compassion, but rather a lack of professionalism. Another excellent book that I would recommend, especially to ministry leaders, is Brothers, We Are Not Professionals by uh, John Piper. He says, professionalization carries the connotation of an education, a set of skills, and a set of guild-defined standards which are possible without faith in Jesus. Professionalism is not supernatural. The heart of ministry is. He goes on to say, we pastors are being killed by the professionalizing of the pastoral ministry. The mentality of the professional is not the mentality of the prophet. It is not the mentality of the slave of Christ. Professionalism has nothing to do with the essence and heart of the Christian ministry. The more professional we long to be, the more spiritual death we will leave in our wake. Oh, man. That is incredibly convicting for me as a pastor. But I think we need to pull the emergency brake. I think a lot of churches need to pull the emergency brake, right? And do a course correction. And and to repent of, of sitting at the feet of secular rabbis. And repent of importing worldly principles into the church. Not bad principles, but worldly principles by operating, we're trying to do the work of God through the ways of the world. And it's led to frustrated, burned out ministry leaders, and it's led to frustrated and burned out sheep. And so we're creating these programs and we are pumping people into these programs. And it's a constant battle to recruit volunteers. And what we do is we suck people into the programs. We ring them out. We use them up. And then we look for new troops. And it sounds, it sounds a little... (laughs) It sounds a little pessimistic, but I'm trying to identify the the problem, right? In order to have the right prescription, we must first have the proper diagnosis. And the diagnosis for many churches is an underlying worldliness, not just in entertainment, but in our ecclesiology, in our polity. In, in the operating system of the church, if, if, the, if the principles that guide the church could be used to guide a bank, then the church has a problem. The, the, the principles, the primary principles of spiritual leadership aren't transferable because they're supernatural. <laughs> they require the presence of God to function properly. Burned out shepherds and burned out sheep because we're using a corporate model within the body of Christ. Because we are importing worldly principles into the church. Because we're using worldly wisdom to do God's work. Another great book. Man, this guy 
Eugene P- the late Eugene Peterson. What a gift to the church. And this was one of his final books. It's called A Memoir, The Pastor. Uh, an incredible book. I would encourage especially ministry leaders uh, to pick up this book. Um, and he says, The cultural conditions in which I am immersed require, at least for me, a kind of fierce vigilance to guard my vocation from these cultural pollutants so dangerously toxic to persons who want to follow Jesus in the way that he is Jesus. I wanted my life, both my personal and working life, to be shaped by God and the scriptures and prayer. I wonder if at the root of the defection is a cultural assumption that all leaders are people who get things done and make things happen. This is certainly true for the primary leadership models that seep into our awareness from the culture, politicians, businessmen, advertisers, publicists, celebrities, and athletes. But while being a pastor certainly has some of these components, the pervasive element in our 2,000-year pastoral tradition is not someone who gets things done, but rather the person placed in the community to pay attention and call attention to what is going on right now between men, women, and, and one another with their God. This kingdom of God that is primarily local, relentless, relentlessly personal, and prayerful without ceasing. Man, there are so, these are, they're great, there are great resources available. People that are diagnosing the problem. But you can receive a diagnosis and refuse treatment. So a lot of churches, even after they get a prophetic diagnosis, even after they get a, prof- a, a biblical diagnosis of their spiritual condition, you still have to, like the doctor can say, you have cancer and therefore you need surgery. So you can walk away with the diagnosis and still refuse treatment. And then you, uh, you, you, you suffer the effects of your illness. All right, a doctor can say, listen, you have cancer, you need uh, chemotherapy. And, and so churches that, number one, need to, need to pull the emergency brake and say, God, what is going on here? Right? What's happening in your church? And uh, it's subtle. And, and it's, it's been this, this shift that's happened over generations, at least within North America. And we need a biblical course correction back to being aliens and strangers in this world. So back to Hebrews chapter four. (laughs) Oh my goodness, man. Oh man. Listen, um, if you're a pastor, if you're a ministry leader, uh, please um, drop me a message Inbox me a message. Email me, winnipegpastor at gmail.com. And I would love to pray for you. You know, no one, no one can pray for a pastor quite like another pastor, right? Uh, it's like parenting. You can describe it to people that aren't parents yet, uh, but you don't really know what it is until you become a parent. So uh, there, no one can pray for parents quite like other parents. And the same thing is true uh, for ministry leadership. So back to the book of Hebrews. (laughs) Talking about being bibliocentric. And here I I took 20 minutes in my introduction. (laughs) Whoa, man. Uh, Back to Hebrews chapter 2. This is an incredible passage about the, the supreme pastor, the ultimate shepherd, and the empathy that he has for humanity. No, 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 that's too broad. Not for humanity, because we all, we get lost within humanity. For God so loved the world. Man, that's, that's almost 8 billion people now. So we get lost in the crowd. The empathy that he has for you, the compassion that Christ has in his heart for you, for God so loved you that he gave his only begotten son. And so in Hebrews chapter two, beginning in verse 14, 
Since the children had flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil. (laughs) So I got a punching bag today. (laughs) You know, I told the guy I bought it from, I was uh, founded on Kijiji. Uh, For those that are listening from elsewhere, from the States, it's like Craigslist. And I told the guy I bought it from that it's cheaper than therapy. But I'm going to put a... um, a name on that punching bag, Satan. <laughs> and so I'm just going to work. I'm just going to punch Satan every day, right? Just a physical reminder of what Jesus has accomplished through his death, burial, and resurrection. He says here um, that he broke the power of him who holds the power of death. That is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. That's so good, right? He, he's, he's not, he, Jesus didn't leave heaven and come to earth to redeem the fallen angels. Jesus left heaven and came to earth to, earth to redeem fallen humanity. And when he says here, the, the descendants of Abraham, Abraham's descendants, right? Uh, The New Testament, Galatians chapter three in particular, talks about followers of Christ being children of Abraham because of our faith, right? He goes on to say, "For for this reason, he, Jesus, had to be made like them, fully human in every way. That's Hebrews 2.17. That's that's a verse that you should underline, highlight it. Fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people, because he himself suffered when he was tempted. He is able to help those who are being tempted. That is Pastor Jesus. You know, uh, in in the states, in the southern United States, where where I'm from originally, we would call pastors brother this or brother that, and every now and then uh, you would call a pastor Pastor John or Pastor whatever their first name was. In Canada, where I'm at now, it's much more common to refer to spiritual leaders by the title pastor. Pastor John, oh, even saying it, right, that, that is such a profound title that communicates a unique calling. But what the Bible describes here in the book of Hebrews is Pastor Jesus, that he was made like us, fully human in every way, only he didn't have the sinful nature. And I don't have time to go into uh, the virgin birth and how that is an essential part of the gospel, right? Is that Jesus uh, was, was born of a virgin so that he didn't inherit that original corruption, that original sin from Adam and Eve. And so that he could, might become a merciful and faithful high priest. Oh, my goodness. Just a quick word here. I can't just read over that first part. That, that first part about the fear of death, especially in this time of pandemic, this global pandemic, right? COVID, this virus that has dominated the globe, that has brought the global economy to a standstill. And there's this underlying fear of death, right? We, it's there all the time, but it, it's exacerbated in a pandemic. It's magnified, it's highlighted in times of war, in times of disease, in times of plagues. The fear of death, one translation said that people are slaves to the fear of dying. The message, and this is Eugene Peterson um, 
when he translated uh, his paraphrase of the Bible called The Message, he said that people are scared to death of death. Another person said, we're haunted by the fear of dying, the tormenting dread of death. So we have an ingrained aversion to death, especially in North America, in the West, because it's really not in our face every day. So you got you go to some parts of the globe and it's not an uncommon thing to see a dead body. It's, it's tragic, it's unfortunate, and it's ultimately the result of sin, that, that we are sinful people that live in a fallen world. So we have, we have war that is constantly ravaging some part of the world. And so in some part of the world, uh, seeing a dead body isn't that uncommon. It's, that's a tragic reality. But in North America, we have this ingrained aversion to death. We don't like to think about it, much less talk about it. We're surrounded by it because everyone dies, right? We drive by cemeteries, and yet we don't look, right? We... we subconsciously, we subconsciously don't look at cemeteries, right? We don't like funerals because it is a graphic reminder of our own imminent death. So we're surrounded by it, yet many are caught off guard. We're surprised when it happens. We go to great lengths to extend life and to delay death. The Christian, and this is throughout the New Testament, the Christian is to have a radically different view of death. This is one of the things that should separate us, that, sh that should, that, that when we are set apart from the world, right, is that God gives us a completely different perspective on death and dying. This is the heart of the gospel. Because of the resurrection, we know what awaits us. Death is not the final frontier. Death is not the great unknown. The Bible is abundantly clear about what happens after we die. And for the Christian, the best part of our life is the moment we die, when our faith becomes we enter glory and are in the presence of King Jesus forever. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> For the Christian, the best part of life isn't graduating from high school. For the Christian, the best part of life isn't graduating from university. For the Christian, the best part of life isn't getting married, isn't having children, isn't retiring, isn't going on a, a, a bucket list trip or a dream vacation. The Bible is abundantly clear that for the Christian, our faith becomes sight. Absent from the body means present with the Lord. We do not fear death. On the contrary, we should anticipate it. We should look forward to it. Not in a morbid sense, but in a glorious sense that we anticipate it. And so Christians throughout history... Christians in the New Testament, Christians in the early church, and Christians in many parts of the world today, they long for the return of Christ because their life on this earth is full of hardship and sacrifice and persecution. But Christians in North America, we... Have, we have a tendency to become so comfortable that we would prefer if Jesus delayed his return. Jesus, would you just hold off until I fill in the blank? And that is an indictment. That is an indictment of a divided heart. The Bible says that faith in Jesus destroys the fear of death. Abundant living can only be experienced through freedom from the fear of dying. That's not even the sermon. <laughs> that was just the first part. I wanted to really camp out and conclude 
in this final part of the passage that talks about the empathy of Jesus. This passage goes on to describe Pastor Jesus, that he was fully human in every way. You flip over one page, at least in my Bible, and you go to Hebrews chapter 4, beginning in verse 14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. Listen, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Jeez, this is... This is Pastor Jesus, right? This is what separates Christianity from every other world religion. It's called the incarnation. God became flesh. So God became a man through Jesus Christ. He is the image of the invisible God. He is able, Jesus is able to fully identify with our humanity. One translation says that Jesus is touched with the feeling of our infirmities. So we have the divinity of Jesus and the humanity of Jesus. And we have to be careful to avoid the ditches. <laughs> Many evangelicals, especially those within reform circles, focus on the divinity of Jesus to the detriment of his humanity. And if we aren't careful, this leads to a Mount Olympus mentality. So the Greek system of the gods was that they lived on top of this mountain and they were separate from humanity. There was this great space, and every now and then the gods would visit humanity, but for the most part, they dwelled at a distance. So we have to be careful if we focus on the divinity of Jesus to the detriment of his humanity, it will lead to a Mount Olympus, a Mount Olympus mentality. Others, especially those in social justice circles, focus on the humanity of Jesus to the detriment of his divinity. And if we aren't careful, this leads to a Mr. Rogers mentality that Jesus was just a super nice guy and he's a good example to follow. That Jesus hung out with the poor, and Jesus fed the hungry, and Jesus, he, ad, he was an advocate for the marginalized peoples. And so we have to be careful to avoid the ditches. That being said, this passage, this passage highlights the humanity of Jesus. Jesus experienced every human emotion. To the extreme. I want you to get this here. That Jesus didn't float around, right? Uh, he, he wasn't this spirit being, right? He was, he ate food. He, he was physical in every sense of the word, only without sin. So Jesus experienced every human emotion to the extreme. Jesus experienced extreme temptation. Man, I'm just going to read this directly from uh, this commentary. This is uh, the Daily Bible Study series by William Barclay. And this was interesting. This is, again, I get excited all the time when I learn something new, right? When a light bulb goes off. And this was a light bulb moment for me. The fact that Jesus was without sin means that he knew the depths and tensions and assaults of temptation, which we can never know. So far from his battle being easier, it was immeasurably harder. Why? For this reason, we fall to temptation long before the tempter has put out the whole of his power. We never know temptation at its fiercest because we fall long before that stage is reached. But Jesus was tempted far beyond what we are, for in his case, the tempter put everything he possessed into the assault. Think of this in terms of pain. 
There is a degree of pain which the human frame can stand. And when that degree is passed, a person loses consciousness so that there are agonies of pain he cannot know. It is so with temptation. We collapse in face of temptation, but Jesus went to our limit of temptation and far beyond it and still did not collapse. It is true to say that he was tempted in all things as we are, but it is also true to say that no one was tempted as he was. So sometimes we, um, again, we highlight the divinity of Jesus to the detriment of his humanity. And we think that Jesus had it easier because of his divinity, right? That somehow his humanity was lessened because of his divinity. And what, what William Barclay says, and what was a light bulb moment for me was that rather than it being easier for Jesus because of his divinity, it actually made it harder uh, that he experienced temptation to the extreme. Jesus experienced extreme temptation. Jesus experienced extreme stress. Do you remember that scene from the Garden of Gethsemane? And Jesus is under such intense pressure as he anticipates the absorbing the wrath of God on our behalf. Blood vessels in his head started bursting and, and drops of blood were running down his face and he was sweating blood. Jesus experienced extreme temptation. Jesus experienced extreme stress. Jesus experienced extreme betrayal by those that he invested the most in. The people that were closest to Jesus, those are the ones that hurt the worst. The people that you love, the people that you trust, and Jesus' own family, it says in the Bible, Jesus' own mother and brothers and sisters, that they thought he was crazy. They were trying to come get him, right? And take him away because they thought he was insane. They thought he had lost his mind. And so that cuts deep. I know with, with, with my mom, with my sisters and my brother, uh, there would be a special kind of pain when, when those people, when those people don't believe in you, when those people betray you. There's a special blessing as well when those people advocate for you, when those people support you. But Jesus experienced extreme betrayal by Judas, the inner circle the guy that was personally recruited by the Son of God. He had a front row seat to every sermon and every exorcism and every miracle that Jesus did. And yet in the end, he sold Jesus out. He kissed him on the cheek and stabbed him in the back. And that cuts deep. Jesus experienced extreme loneliness when everyone abandoned him and he was being tortured and there was no one there right, to defend him. There was no one there to advocate for him. And Jesus hanging on the cross in the ultimate moment of extreme loneliness when Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In those moments when God opened up the floodgates of heaven and poured out on Jesus every ounce of judgment, every ounce of wrath for every sin that has ever been committed from Eve reaching towards the forbidden fruit to the final sin on the last day. Jesus paid it all. He consumed the wrath of God. He exhausted the the wrath of the Almighty on our behalf.
Jesus experienced extreme loneliness. All of that to say that Jesus is the supreme pastor. Jesus is the ultimate shepherd. Jesus can honestly say to every person in the midst of every struggle, in the midst of every heartache, he can honestly say, I know how you feel. Therefore, in Hebrews 4, chapter 16, and this is where we'll wrap it up tonight. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence. You know, you shouldn't be afraid of your pastor. Right? If you're afraid of your pastor, then there's a problem. Right? There's a problem. And so there should be a empathy. There should be a compassion that the pastor is to embody the heart of the shepherd. And so in the same way that you would approach your pastor, that you would approach your priest, that you would approach your spiritual leader, your youth pastor, and say, can you pray for me? Right? Even more, you should approach Jesus. You have direct access to him. You don't need a you don't need a middleman. You have direct access to Pastor Jesus. And, and what you see in the best moments of the best pastors is just a is just a is a pale reflection, is a poor representation of the heart of Jesus for you. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace. What a privilege. The throne of God's grace with confidence and without fear so that we may receive mercy for our failures and find his amazing grace to help in time of need. Coming just at the right moment, just when we need it. God is never early and he is never late. Sometimes we need to dial 911. Sometimes we need to send out an SOS. And Jesus is always on call. 247-365. Pastor Jesus doesn't keep office hours. That he is available to you exactly when you need him. And so Jesus will show up in the middle of our mess. <laughs> he will carry us through the valley of the shadow because he is a good shepherd and he knows his sheep and he calls them by name because Jesus is our ultimate pastor. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, calm our hearts, quiet our minds, that we might hear your still small voice. Pastor Jesus, as you speak our names, God, as you, as you show up in our time of need, in our crisis, God, so some of us tonight are dialing 911 and we need help. God, some of us need to send up an SOS and we need to know, God, that you're listening and that you are a merciful, merciful and faithful shepherd. You are a merciful and gracious high priest. You are a compassionate pastor. And so, God, for those maybe tonight that need to connect with you for the very first time, they've been on the outside looking in. 
They've heard rumors of your grace, but they've yet to personally meet you. And so I pray tonight that by grace through faith, they would reach out to you and just say one word on bended knee with a humble heart. We reach towards Jesus, Pastor Jesus, and we just say mercy. Oh, Jesus, have mercy on me. And the Bible says that you will answer that prayer every single time. Lord, that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So Lord, to to clean us below the surface, to wipe away the guilt, to wipe away the shame and to destroy the fear of death. Oh Lord, may your spirit rise up in your people. May your spirit rise up in your church. And may we anticipate being in your presence. May we long for your appearing. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're looking for ways to connect, find us on Facebook or YouTube. Just check out the show notes for details. Thank you for tuning in. I hope and pray that this has been a blessing in your life. And I hope that you'll continue the conversation with God by opening his word for yourself. Love y'all.